Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to Criminalia. This season, we are exploring the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious lady poisoners in history. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Maria Tremarki. And in today's episode, we are talking about the life of Bertha Gifford. Bertha was born Bertha Alice Williams on October 30th, 1871 in Morse Mill, Missouri. She was the daughter of William Poindexter Williams and his wife Matilda, and she was the ninth of their 10 children. The Williams family worshipped in the Church of God, which was the fundamentalist church, and was considered one of the areas, and we quote, finest and most respectable families. Bertha would grow up to be a country nurse. She didn't have any formal schooling in medical care, but that really wouldn't have been especially unusual at this time in the history of America. But what is really interesting about Bertha is that she also became one of the United States' first female serial killers. That is the most interesting, I think. So let's talk a little bit about Bertha when she was younger. We're going to start when she's in her 20s. So Bertha was actually considered to be one of the prettiest women in her county where she lived. She wasn't very tall. She spoke with a light lisp. And she was best known for her cooking skills, which was something she was known for her entire life. When she was 22 in 1894, she married Henry Graham in Morse Mill, where they both grew up. And about a year later, they had one daughter, Lila. I imagine that a lot of people, uh, I know I did, might picture a town such as Morse Mill, Missouri, in the late 1800s as like a quaint, quiet farming community. Oh, I completely pictured it that way. Like very rural and farming. Yes. Yes. But the reality was that it was actually a resort town that catered to the St. Louis elite. 
Although one story suggests that the Grams ran a boarding house of their own, nearly all of the history around Bertha actually indicates that she worked at the Morse Mill Hotel, which was a very popular place for tourists to stay. As a side note to that, when I was looking at research, there is today a Morse Mill Hotel. And I'm not sure if they're open or if they're about to reopen, but they do paranormal activities there. And they, um, I, I'm not sure that they uh, have... have any visits from her victims, but uh, they're looking for visits from them. <laughs> uh, so if you're ever in the area in Missouri, the Morris Mill Hotel is one of your destinations. <laughs> I'm now putting it on my uh, list so we can have a criminalia road trip when the pandemic is over. Exactly. We can leave the house. <laughs> so... After a few years, her marriage to Henry ran into trouble. And that's because sometime around 1905 or so, Bertha started spending a little too much time with a local man named Eugene Gifford. Uh, Eugene went by Jean, so we'll be calling him that from now on. Jean, by all accounts, was a really popular man around his community. He was a good worker. He was entertaining when he told stories. He was considered to be a good friend. And he also was... And this was the scandalous part of the story, about 10 years younger than Bertha. As you can imagine, Bertha and her husband Henry started arguing a lot around this time. Some reports suggest that it was about Bertha's affair, but others kind of indicate that both Henry and Bertha were not really faithful to the marriage. Amid their arguments one night, though, Henry suddenly became ill and then became weak and developed violent stomach cramps. He died shortly thereafter, at the age of 34, of what was thought to be pneumonia. Honestly, nobody thought much about his cause of death, and Bertha collected on the life insurance money and went about grieving her late husband. About a year or two after this, she and Jean got married. And then shortly, they moved away from Morse Mill and settled in the nearby Catawissa area. Jean took to farming, and they had one child, James. One of the local neighbors is quoted saying that Eugene Gifford was a successful farmer, and everyone knew the Giffords. Catawissa was a very rural area, and there was just one physician for the whole county. Bertha took on the role of country nurse for her sick family and neighbors when they needed it. And at first, she wore a white apron when she called on her patients. That's a term we're using pretty loosely here. Uh, <laughs> yes. But later, she started to wear a nurse's uniform. The community described Bertha as, we quote, a tireless attender of funerals, a visitor of sick persons, and a connoisseur of stories dealing with violence, illness, or blood. That's actually how I hope my biography goes after I die. <laughs> she knew all the good be... <laughs> violence, illness, and right. blood stories. Holly was a connoisseur of all the stories. <laughs> Especially the ones with blood. <laughs> I like to think that she later started to wear her nurse's uniform because she was really getting the character. Um, you know, I mean, I have no, obviously reason to to be like this is a fact but i in my mind she was really sort of honing her skills and she's like i am a nurse now so <laughs> she was known to pay visits to sick neighbors she brought food she stayed to administer medicine all the kinds of things you'd expect a nurse to do she would often dispense what the doctor had prescribed but she had all sorts of medical and non-medical things in her satchel and it's said that bertha made her own potions as she called them interesting 
<laughs> notions. In her new community, she had established herself as always willing to help, and she was always there when someone was ill or injured, even if it meant that she had to travel for miles to be there. She frequently took sick people into her home and nursed them, although this was not a case of nursing them back to life. Right. She sounds like such a lovely woman until you find out. Until you realize nobody got out of her house alive. Right. Until you realize that among her patients, it turned out they were more likely to die in her care than they were to get well. Um, And then you kind of go, hmm. Not the best Samaritan that I thought she was. Her victims ranged in age from 15 months to about 72 years. And those are the victims that we know of. They weren't strangers. They were neighbors, friends, relatives. And there was no discernible pattern to her victims other than the fact that they had been ill. Initially, Bertha was not suspected of anything. But as her victim list began to grow, authorities did begin to suspect her, specifically of three murders. The first and second suspected murders were both of children. First, Lloyd Shamel, who was around nine years old, whose mother had died two months earlier, perhaps through Bertha's care, but maybe not. It's a little unclear. Unclear. And then Lloyd's brother, Elmer, who was either six or seven, and he died less than six weeks after his brother. Lloyd and Elmer's father, whose first name completely escaped me in all of our research, (laughs) said at the time that he didn't suspect anything was going on. And we quote him as saying that he liked the Giffords fine and he thought that it was just his bad luck. He had a lot of territory to cover, but the deaths of those boys aroused the suspicion of the county doctor, Dr. W.H. Hemker. We mentioned there was only one doctor there, and that's why Bertha was so leaned upon for her nursing care. He recommended an autopsy after Elmer died. However, the boy's father did not agree to this procedure. So Hemker reported the cause of death as acute gastritis. So the third person who Bertha was suspected of killing was a man named... Ed Brinley, who was a known alcoholic around town. One night he fell inebriated on the concrete walk outside of the Giffords' home. And of course, they took him in and they cared for him until he passed away. Ed's death was the one that renewed Dr. Hemker's suspicions about Bertha, and he consulted with another physician. The two were not able to agree on a cause of death, and Ed's death certificate reported that he died also of acute gastritis. That's really not a bad diagnosis if there's no suspicion that poison is involved. Symptoms of gastritis include many of the symptoms that we've talked about over and over that are associated (laughs) with arsenic poisoning, right? So stomach pain, vomiting, diarrhea, sometimes bloody, and a burning sensation in the stomach, which can make a diagnosis of poisoning, even if the doctor is suspicious, kind of difficult. Those are issues that pop up with a lot of other problems. Exactly. One of the great things about arsenic as a poison is it mimics everything else, right? So I think it's a good time to take a break from our our talking about poison for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll talk about how the community began to suspect foul play. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. 
Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past, and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles like the made to be seen, very sexy push up bra from the Very Sexy Collection in on trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. 
we're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's get to talking about whether Bertha was the, quote, angel of mercy of her community. So after the three deaths, the community rumor mill started to talk about foul play. And many suspected that there were more than just these three victims. And some of them urged the county's prosecuting attorney to open investigation into Bertha. But there was no official action taken at that time. It wasn't until after a St. Louis newspaper printed an article about patients mysteriously dying while under Bertha's care that the prosecutor ordered a grand jury to look specifically into Ed Brinley's death. Bertha, at this time, though, tried her hardest to scare off anyone who considered testifying against her by threatening libel lawsuits for one and all, like like Oprah. You know, you get a lawsuit, you get a lawsuit. <laughs> you know, it's just everybody in town was going to get a lawsuit. And it must have worked because the jury failed to indict her. At this point, Bertha and Jean moved. Not too far away, but far enough to hopefully get out of the spotlight of all of this controversy. Still, though, the prosecutor summoned another grand jury. The bodies of Ed Brindley and the Shamel brothers were all exhumed during the second investigation into Bertha, and large quantities of arsenic were found in the vital organs in each body. Shortly after, on August 25th, 1928, Bertha was arrested at Eureka, Missouri, and she was charged with murder. Until then, their neighbors found the Giffords to be, and we quote, such nice people. Everybody liked them. She was also called, and this is another quote, one of the best biscuit bakers in the county. Poison free. (laughs) So... When they questioned her about why she poisoned these people, Bertha had an explanation. And she tearfully went on to talk about that her intentions were to help anyone who was sick, not not to kill them. And actually, to give her a tiny, teeny, tiny bit of credit. At this time, people actually used arsenic for medical reasons. So her argument wasn't necessarily a total lie. This is where that medical training might have come in handy. It probably would true. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, um, yeah, dosing. A little bit, a little bit. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) When she signed a statement confessing to her crimes, Bertha reported she had placed arsenic into the medicine that the doctor had provided for both Lloyd and Elmer Shamel. She stated that she had done the same for Ed Brinley. However, learning that her confession had been made public, Bertha became hysterical, and she began with great effort to deny everything about it. Her husband suggested she was just nervous when she confessed and she didn't know what she was saying. And so he hired a lawyer who entered a plea of not guilty on her behalf. Bertha was put on trial in nearby Union, Missouri. And once it finally began, her trial lasted for three days. On the first day of the trial, more than 1,000 people crowded into the courtroom. That made up a crowd that spilled into the hallway outside. 
can you even imagine? Um, so in the courtroom, it's reported that Bertha was actually really quite well put together. She she came in wearing a black coat. Her dark hair was freshly bobbed and she was made up with two bright spots of rouge on her cheeks. But she also sat slumped in her chair and some among the community who had known her well said that her eyes seemed dead. After testimony that Bertha had several times purchased arsenic at drugstores around the county, she defended herself by saying it was all for getting rid of barn rats that had been bothering the chickens on their farm. Plausible. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, people used arsenic for that specific purpose all the time. But circumstantially, her purchases seemed to coincide with the deaths of her patients. That's a little more problematic. Yes. (laughs) The jury indicted her for first-degree murder in the poisoning deaths of Elmer Shamel and Ed Brinley. The charge of murdering Elmer's brother Lloyd was added to the indictment, but not until subsequent investigation. So during the trial, there were many, many people to take the stand. And there were five doctors who were sent to testify that they had determined the mental health of Bertha. And they said, all five, we quote, insane. In rebuttal, two psychiatrists, which were known as alienists at this time in history, a term I love and wish we still use, uh, were also called to the stand. But they didn't disagree with the assessment of her mental health. Both of them actually concluded the same as the other five doctors, that Bertha was not of sound mind. So it took just three hours for the jury to find Bertha had indeed fatally poisoned her victims. They agreed she had been insane at the time, and they considered that she still was. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity. She was sentenced by Circuit Judge Brewer and committed to the Missouri State Hospital No. 4. That was a psychiatric institution, and she lived there until her death on August 20th, 1951. Her death certificate lists her as having lived with paranoia precox psychosis, which today we would know better as schizophrenia. But getting back to her victims, Elmer, Lloyd, and Ed weren't the only three who died under mysterious circumstances while in Bertha's care. Uh, There's actually quite a list, so maybe settle in while we name some of them. And this list is not complete. So there was Emily Gifford, who was Bertha's mother-in-law. And then there was James Gifford, her 13-year-old brother-in-law. And then Sherman Pounds, the 53-year-old uncle of her husband, as well as Sherman's three-year-old granddaughter, Beulah. The Giffords' 53-year-old hired hand around the farm, a man named James Ogle, also became a victim. Then there were the Stolfelder children, Irene, who died at age seven, Margaret at age two, and Bernard, who was just 15 months old. Bernard was Bertha's youngest known victim. Mary Brindley was only seven years old when she was poisoned and died. Leona Slocum, 37, died under Bertha's care. The oldest victim, Grandma Bertie Unerstall, was 72 when she was Bertha's victim. By some counts, Bertha may have been responsible for between 17 and 19 fatal poisonings over the span of about 20 years. So here we are with Bertha. Bertha is buried in an unmarked grave at the Soul Sleeper Cemetery in her hometown of Morse Mill. And in the years since her death, the Missouri Department of Mental Health has permanently sealed her record, barring a court order or a request to open them from immediate family. 
when we come back, we will talk a bit about what makes a serial killer. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back to Criminalia. Let's get into talking about the profile of a serial killer, specifically a female serial killer, which is different. According to a newspaper article from the time of the trial, we quote, Interest in the case is nationwide, and stories of the trial are being carried in all of the great newspapers of the country. This interest in Bertha was not only because of the number of deaths that had occurred, but also because the serial murderer was a woman, which was and still is rare. It's really easy to call many of the women that we've talked about so far this season as to call them serial killers. But during our research, we see that term applied so often to those who actually are not serial killers. It's true. Many of them did, did kill more than one person, but most of the time they didn't fit the profile. Bertha, however, is interesting because she is considered a serial killer by the defining characteristics. She is the fourth female serial killer identified in the United States, behind Lydia Sherman, who is included as part of our season of Poisoners, Jane Toppin, a nurse who killed 31 people, and Nanny Doss, whose favorite pastimes included reading romance novels and killing her relatives, 11 of them in total. What's not true about serial killers is that they're always men. Granted, it's just a small percentage of serial killers who are women. So small, though, that back in 1998, a former FBI profiler was quoted saying, there are no female serial killers. But that's not 
really true. Female serial killers do exist. They are few in number, and they aren't motivated in the same way as their male counterparts. Unlike male serial killers, who usually target people they don't know, female serial killers tend to kill people who are emotionally and physically closest to them. So victims of female serial killers are often lovers. Um, Also, very often they include children and the elderly, which are two groups that are very unlikely or unable to fight back for themselves. And as we just mentioned, while male serial killers tend to choose victims they don't know, studies of known female serial killers suggest that as many as 80 percent 80% knew their victims. In fact, nearly two-thirds were related to their victims. One-third killed their significant others, and nearly half killed their own children. According to the FBI's profile of a serial killer, male or female, these are people who have killed a series of three or more victims. But it doesn't end there. While male serial killers are more likely to use violent methods such as a gun or strangulation, female serial killers are much more likely to use a more low-profile method such as suffocation or, as we see a lot, poisoning. What we do know about the profile of female serial killers is that they're typically white and conventionally attractive. And 100% of known female serial killers identified as Christian. They typically have killed between 7 and 10 people, so more than twice the requirement to qualify for the title. Right. Two to three is not going to get you a serial killer title, according to the profile. So this is really interesting, especially to Bertha's situation. Nursing is an occupation that is overrepresented among female serial killers. So nearly 40% had worked in health-related fields as nurses or aides, and about 22% worked in caregiving roles, such as mothering and nannying or caretaking of an elderly relative. And also interestingly, one of the main motivations for female serial killers is to get attention or sympathy, such as following the death of a relative or someone that they've cared for. So while it's Difficult for any of us to get into the mind of a male or or female serial killer. We can take a minute to remember that in Bertha's confession, she said, in all three cases, the patients were suffering from severe pains and I put arsenic in their medicine to quiet their pains. And all I think of when I think of, is, of Bertha talking about her confession and, and her in court is that that phrase, to quiet their pains. It's quite haunting. It is. She's a tough one to to uh, research and write about because of the whole serial killer factor and the fact that right. she was. Well, but but I mean, I, I like I'm addicted to watching serial killer documentaries. So it. Yeah, but I was really. They don't. They don't do many documentaries on female serial killers, you know. So, uh, knowing how well she was liked in her community and what she was practicing uh, was really sort of difficult to get my head to wrap around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's she's one that it's we have talked so many times about how usually in a lot of these cases, there's something about uh, the person involved that we come to like or delight in. But it's quite difficult with her to find one. She's one of those few that it's like, mm, there's nothing in this story that's like comfortable or laughy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, Holly. Yeah. Which poison this week? I hear it might be a little apple It is. 
uh, it's a little appley and a little lemony. Um, I wanted to make a cocktail for Bertha that reflected her image as an angel of mercy um, and as a nurse. So this drink is sweet and it's quite pleasant when you sip it, but it will really knock you on your keister. Um, <laughs> and I am calling it the angel of mercy. Just like Bertha. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I started with a spirit that is not one of my usual go-tos, but uh, this entire season has been a good lesson in trying new things. It's a gin drink. Gin. So two ounces of gin, two ounces of unsweetened apple juice, one ounce of simple syrup, and a splash of lemon juice. Just mix that together real quick. And then mm -hmm. also stir in about six ounces of lemon-lime soda. And oh. it's, um, yeah, just put it with some ice, throw some bubbly. ice in there and stir it. So it's a little bubbly. It tastes like apple juice. Uh, the reason that I went with unsweetened apple juice is because by the time you include the soda and the simple syrup, it would get really cloying if you use sure. free sweetened apple juice. So That makes sense. It's also a recipe you can dither with the amounts of, of certain things to your taste. So if you prefer a little more of a crisp, bitey flavor rather than a sweet, you can up the lemon juice and drop the simple syrup to a half ounce. Um, as it is, it's it's sweet, but to me, not too painfully sweet. But yeah, it's um, it's very yummy. It does taste like just fizzy apple juice. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I can't tolerate gin the way I can tolerate other things. Right, Hello. Like, well, I can't stand <laughs> up. Like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so that is the angel of mercy, uh, which will help you quiet your pains, I yes, suppose. Right. Please drink responsibly. Um, <laughs> thank you for once again joining us on another episode of Criminalia. We will see you again here next week. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.